Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. This is a weekly program of interviewing leaders in many different types of organizations, different size organizations, doing different kind of work. But the common thread is here's somebody that steps up and says, here's a vision and here's where we're going and gets people to the table. People who are passionate about the vision and who want to make a difference in the world. And today we have people representing membership organizations and we build this as a panel of experts and experts in my book qualifies for somebody who's out of town, but somebody who's got a proven track record and somebody who has an expertise in a defined area. And my guests today are, are friends. They're people who make a difference in the world and they're doing really important work in today's world that needs more unification. So I'm, uh, as usual, we ask people to introduce themselves and say a little bit, in this case, talk about your organization and what brings you to the table to lead this organization. So Jim, do you wanna, is Jim Rindelau, is that how you say your name? Well said, better than I can say it. Yeah, so a, a little bit about my background. I grew up in Lutheran country in uh, Southern Minnesota went to St. Olaf College, and then served in two congregations as a full-time Lutheran church musician, St. Mark's Lutheran in Jacksonville, Florida, and Faith Lutheran in Glen Ellen, Illinois. Uh, spent 17 years in those two parishes. During that time, I actually was very involved in the Association of Lutheran Church Musicians. I was on their board. I chaired conferences. And then, after 17 years in the church, I ended up at Choristers Guild, which is another church music association, as their executive director. Uh, One of the questions that you've asked is, uh, what uh, skills, perhaps, do we have for these positions? And my education was in music. I have two church music degrees but I'm an okay musician. My strength probably is as an administrator. So I can make a a task list and check off the tasks. So uh, enjoyed doing that, enjoyed my time at at Choristers Guild, and that then led to me coming to the Association of Lutheran Church Musicians. So that's a little bit about my background and, and ALCM is the network for all Lutheran music leaders. And we're the, uh, the place where we all can come together and share our stories. And of course, we have resources that we publish for our membership and, and benefits that we provide as well. Well, in, in my first book called Moving Spirits, Building Lives, I believe you have a copy, it's about a church musician being a transformational leader. Um, um, we, we bring singers together. We transform them into a choir. We transform the choir into an ensemble. And then in, in ministry work, we transform people's lives. And so it's a, to me, it's a, it's a very important role of leadership. And what you've done is transfer that skill into organizational leadership skill. And mm-hmm. that's uh, a lot of church musicians haven't realized they could do that. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so where are you sitting today, Jim? Where, where are you located? Uh, I'm actually in Florida. I work remotely out of a home office. Our uh, business office is in Valparaiso, Indiana. Uh, it's part of the Valparaiso University campus. And uh, that's another unique thing about our, organ- our organization is we are pan-Lutheran. We serve all of the various Lutheran synods, the ELCA, the Missouri Synod, the Wisconsin Synod, and all of the smaller ones as well. So as you have said, it is a place for all of these musicians to come together uh, as one, even when we have our differences as part of our church bodies. 
great. One God, one faith, um, one baptism, one one choir. We got lots of choirs where we're singing the Lord's song in a in a comfortable way, and hopefully. David Bone is in Nashville, Tennessee. I always love your gracious, warm smile. David, welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. <clears throat> Thank you, Hugh. Uh, you know, I'll tell about myself. I grew up United Methodist, uh, singing and making music from five uh, in the church. I had my first church job at 18 through college. I went to grad school at uh, Perkins School of Theology in, uh, at SMU, Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas. After that, I um, was a musician at a Presbyterian congregation for a few years. And then actually, um, as a result of a visit to Nashville 30 years ago today, I decided in uh, May, April and May of uh, 1989 to move to Nashville and to do, I would just do music in Nashville. You know, there's only a few people that come to Nashville thinking they're going to do that. And um, I did that. I got a part-time job at the United Methodist General Board of Discipleship, uh, working with uh, one of my grad, uh, graduate school colleagues. And that was a part-time job, gave a little bit of a income, uh, but mostly did session work uh, here in town for about uh, 10 years in addition to that. But in uh, 1991, the office of the Fellowship of the United Methodists in Music and Worship Arts moved here to Nashville and moved here without an executive director. Uh, that organization is related to and collaborates with uh, the uh, what's now called Discipleship Ministries. So I was sort of here and needed some more employment and I applied for that position. And so I've been in that uh, since 1991. So 20, what's that, 28 years almost of that. Um, uh, like Jim, all my degrees are in music, and I have learned, whatever I've learned has been on the job and picking up from folks like, uh, like you, Hugh, and other people who uh, work on leadership and uh, helping people to accomplish tasks. I think that um, the major strength that I bring to the table is I seem to be able to synthesize uh, maybe even seemingly disparate um, items or, or things going on and figure out how they connect and how that can work for, uh, for the organization or seeing or this person has this gift. How can that work in this specific task? So I, I seem to be able to see uh, those sorts of things. And uh, I would say that's probably one of the biggest strengths that I bring to the organization. Um, I'm great at uh, creating task lists. I can see the process. Here are the steps to do this. Actually, my training in ORF music education gave me really that ability um, to see, to identify what's your final goal and what are the incremental steps to get there. I love creating that task list. And then the, the bad part is I want to walk away and let somebody else manage the task list. I feel like, oh, I've got a task list. I'm done. Um, but generally, there is nobody else. So I do have to manage that task <laughs> list. Uh, but uh, that's what uh, goes on here in, in Nashville. Our offices are uh, in the building. Uh, many people may be aware of the Upper Room Devotional Magazine. Um, so Discipleship Ministries in the Upper Room are here in the building where I am in Nashville. And uh, we just rent space here, but collaborate with the staff here. And um, I met David, Jim, years ago, going to an introduction of Church Music for Children program, which he was part of developing and part of rolling out, and was really impressed. Then you came down and did a workshop for all my children's leaders when I was in Huntsville, Alabama. And then uh, when I decided to read a book, um, David introduced me a couple of people, helped me shape it and get it. That was my first book. Hmm. Um, and then um, I said, David, I can teach. So he introduced me to somebody who put me on the schedule to teach at um, Lake Junaluska's annual um, music conference. And lo and behold, this woman walked in the room where I was teaching, who is now my wife. Um, so indirectly, David is responsible for this delightful marriage that I have. Uh, and he will take credit for that, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, probably every other day I'll take credit for that. <laughs> David so, is a matchmaker. <laughs> so he, uh, he and I go back and have had some interesting 
interesting times doing really interesting work, uh, which you don't want to make it boring. So David is a unifier, and I know, I've known him longer. So I want to I want to do a plug for uh, music organizations. I don't know why anybody would be in the trenches working in church music who would not belong to our organization and attend events where they can get some learning, get outside your bubble and meet other people and understand what options there are. So Jim, why should people join ACLM? ALCM? ALCM, Association of Lutheran Church Musicians. And as you said, I think the most important thing about membership is being with your colleagues, being a part of the conversation. All of our Lutheran music leaders have important things to say. They all have important questions. So anytime we are missing one of our music leaders, our conversation is not complete. We do also have benefits. Uh, I brought here to my desk, uh, we have a practical publication that we publish three times a year. We have a journal that we publish three times a year. We have a, a membership directory that we publish three times a year. Monthly at least, we send an e-newsletter to our membership with information. We have lots of digital resources in, in the members only area of our website. You receive member rates at our conferences. This one is in Portland this coming June, and you receive member rates at our, our webinars. We have a job placement service. So those are some of the benefits. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And I bet you got some of those things going on. And, you know, just the answer to the question is, why should people belong to a, a church of music organization like this, especially yours? Did you say David? David. Yeah. Thank guy. you. <clears throat> well, we really concentrate on our name, as in fellowship, and the connections that people make uh, to each other. We feel that that's uh, vitally important uh, in the work that people do in their local congregations. They need to be with people who get them, um, people who understand uh, what they're going through, the challenges that they face in their situation. And so we really work to foster that uh, connection with people. Uh, people can get training in being a better musician uh, anywhere. We also concentrate in the fellowship, I think somewhat uniquely with the other denominational uh, organizations. <clears throat> we concentrate uh, on all the arts, uh, visual arts, uh, drama, all of those uh, are arts which are used in, in worship services. And we want people to be able to connect to other people that are engaged in those uh, pursuits. Now, can people who aren't uh, Methodist or people who aren't Lutheran join your organization? Oh, for sure. I'm, I'm sure <clears throat> uh, Jim would say the same thing. Uh, it's um, it, it, when the fellowship was founded in 1955, and I think ALCM maybe in the 60s. Is that right, Jim? Uh, we were not until 87 officially. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. But even as late as in the 80s, uh, people were joiners, and now they're not uh, sort of the, the joiners that they, they were at that time. But we really feel like by helping people to connect, um, we're, we're, we're achieving our, um, our mission, which our stated mission is to transform the world through worship. And so if we can help people have better worship ministries in their local congregations, we believe that that is going to transform the world as they are sent out into the world from those worship services. And we believe that uh, artistic pursuits within those worship services is a prime way of engaging uh, the heart, mind, and spirit of worshipers and to send them out into mission in the world. I'll, I'll, correct my, I'll correct myself. 86 was actually the beginning of ALCM, but... I do think that we have a few Methodists in our membership who are also members of FUMWA. Uh, so uh, there are people who are members of multiple church music associations. 
And I mentioned that, that in other, other music organizations, people have multiple memberships because you do get a little different flavor uh, in each one. So um, this, uh, David, you talked about the vision. What uh, each, and you've seen things change over those 20 something years uh, in the culture of the church. The um, two years ago, the Washington Post had, a, had an article that said at the current trajectory, mainline denominations have 23 Easter's left. <laughs> and part of that is we did worship really badly in a lot of us, in, in all of our, a lot of our churches. And nobody wants to go because it's really not interesting and it's not relevant and it's not, doesn't reach out and engage us or transform our lives. I do believe the heart of that is with the music. There's only so much a preacher can do in a sermon. Um, but the, the body, when I was interviewed for Methodist Church in, in Huntsville, the preacher said, music is everything. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's not everything. He said, well, if I got to get out and preach and everything's been dreadful, I got a hard job. So that's what he meant. And so expand on the, what is the most important challenge for your members and how does the association help them think through those challenges? Oh, gosh. Um, I I think it's um, it's probably dealing with the changing face of volunteerism. Um, if if one is an organist, uh, there may be an organ, and and you can that's there, but the people quotient is is not there, and is the ever changing dynamic. And I think engaging those volunteers, um, a musician or an artist, well, and, and musicians uh, in particular. Uh, it's hard to make that music uh, if you don't have those volunteers engaged. Now, I would say that my personal philosophy is that the congregation is the primary choir of the church, and every musician's uh, primary responsibility is to that choir. And the one that rehearses on Wednesday night is really the, the, the chamber group and the, the specialized group. And uh, but, but more effort ought to be going into engaging um, the congregation in the musical life of the church within the worship services. Uh, so, I, but I do think as they, as people try to have uh, choir programs, it's very difficult uh, with volunteers as, as church attendance changes, fewer people go on a weekly basis. I think that's one of the biggest change challenges affecting uh, folks these days. Yeah, it, it, it's, it is a constantly um, evolving set of challenges and and i do think and having having been a participant in pam events hello kelly and and fumo events having been a leader teaching non-musical things there's there's a, a whole set of of systems and skills and processes that the church musician needs to know and in in the book that you helped me formulate and, and get out the uh, moving spirits building lives I defined in there two things that were life-changing for me, a paradigm shift. One is there's a huge difference between a musician that does church and a church musician. And it's equipping people for that very specialized ability. So it's not about the music, really. It's about, it's about the engagement, like you talked about, engaging all of the people in the movement forward. Um, the other one that when I left this 12,000-member church in Atlanta, I, I defined my music director position as 10% of my work was music. The rest of the work, the, uh, the part of the, the, uh, the pyramid that the uh, iceberg that's underwater made that music possible. And, and so um, it's, it's like the book, was it Harry Cosby wrote, Things They Never Taught Me About Being a Church Musician. Um, you have to, <laughs> so all the other things we need to be able to lead in this, this vast uh, wasteland of, of resources and empowering other people. So part of our job is influence. And so let me, um, I wanna go back and, and delve, delve into equipping people to lead as part of why people wanna be in a membership organization. Um, Kelly has joined us from, I don't know if you're in Louisville today or what part of the world are you in today? Today I'm in Austin, I'm at the seminary and I was, I've been in meetings and I apologize for jumping in a little late. We just wrapped one up and jumping in now, so my apologies. We, we're gonna mention that. So uh, I want to let you catch up. I'll own it. We needed some female in this in this interview. Um, talk about uh, Pam. I was there when they formed the Presbyterian Association of Musicians. 
way back in history and um, talk about uh, you a little bit. What do you bring to the table as a leader of this association and why should people join PAM? Ooh. I'm going to assume everyone else has answered that question already. They were very eloquent. So yes, <laughs> of, of course they were. Um, so I come to Pam as a conferee. I come to Pam as, um, as on faculty and as a conference director. Um, I really came to Pam through my colleague at First Presbyterian Church in Lexington, Kentucky, Marlon Hurst, and um, working with him and learning about collaborative worship and the importance of intentional liturgy was, was how I was um, introduced to Pam. Um, and then it was through the worship and music conferences that we, we all joined together and, and attended those conferences and brought materials back to our church. Um, so I come to it actually with a business background. I left the business world and did youth ministry for 12 years and then got to put my business hat back on and now direct the Presbyterian Association. So, so why should people consider joining this association? Um, I think, why would you join a musician association? Um, I think, first of all, it's, it is a place for um, colleagues to gather, to, to have some community and to share ideas. Um, but I also think, as with all of our, our organizations, it's, it's a place to empower um, and, it's, and to enrich and um, to challenge our musicians. Um, it's easy when you're working by yourself in a church to get comfortable with ideas or, um, or procedures or just styles that you have. And I think these organizations are in place to um, not only bring you new materials with, with, we've got an anthem series, but it's also to challenge you to look at maybe um, liturgy and worship through um, different eyes, to push us forward, to um, grapple with reformed theology and, um, and, to, and to, to create this space to work with other people. Um, where, where we're, my meetings today were, yes, that Pam is here to empower, but we're here to challenge you a little bit as well, to get you out of your shell, to stretch you a little bit. And I think that's what this organization needs to be doing and is doing on some fronts with our journals, with our conferences, with webinars, and with conversations that we have with our members regularly. I have a lot of gratitude. I went to um, the Pam conferences for 35 years in a row. Like David Bone, I started um, when I was 18, and I had never been in a choir. I studied piano, and I was a music undergraduate, so I, I knew something about music. But uh, due to my work there, and there's at those years, there was equal emphasis on worship and theology and on music. So I met some of the greatest musicians in the world, and I met some of the greatest theologians in the world. And in that place, I met Glossia, who just recently passed away, and who was at the Office of Worship in Louisville. And so I was part of an eight-year uh, study, Lilly-funded study on worship. And that was a game changer for me. As a matter of fact, in many, many of my churches, I did everything related to worship, everything. You know, shaped the, shaped the order of worship, you know, coordinated everything, because I knew how worship should be designed and how to create energy around it. So I, I intentionally uh, grew myself. And I, I'm one of these people, they shouldn't have let in music school and they shouldn't have let out, but I applied myself and learned a thing or two, you know? So I am, if I had a favorite conference, which I shouldn't have, it might be Pam, but I have shifted my allegiance obviously to the Methodist church because I'm married into that. And our, right. our, our new president is my bride. So I do have an allegiance to one side, but I certainly support all of you in your work. Um, so we're talking about challenges of leadership from where you sit. We've talked a little bit about challenges, those people that are in, in the boat with you, trying to row. But what's their challenge that, that any of you can speak to this? What's your number one challenge where you sit? And David, you've been in this the longest. Yours may have changed over the years. So you want to start. What's the biggest challenge you face going forward in leading this dynamic organization? Once again, it comes down to volunteerism that has just changed and engaging people in um, taking care of things. Uh, people experience the world online so easily, and they have expectations of an association, particularly on a, in a digital realm. And I know that frequently I, I sort of joke that 
people sort of assume that I have a building of minions here in Nashville that, you know, can take care of things and they'll generate some idea. And I'll say, well, well that would be great. I'll put the minions on that. Um, it, it's, there's, we have one and a half staff persons. Um, I think we're all in the case of one to two, two staff people and we run uh, $500,000 or more budgets uh, with events and, and everything else the associations do. And so it's engaging our board members and engaging our members in uh, work of the associational volunteer level. That, that's a challenge uh, and encouraging that leadership. I would also say, with, related to that, encouraging younger leadership uh, is, a, is a great challenge. I would say, David, those are universal challenges with any, any um, I, I, I hate the word nonprofit because it's a lie, but any, we, got, we have for-profit businesses and we have for-purpose organizations. So a tax-exempt organization is a for-purpose. So I think that's a universal challenge is engaging our boards, engaging our volunteers, and um, another paradigm I changed when I was in Huntsville is we eliminated volunteers of that church because we figured it was contrary to our theology. God calls us. So we had members in ministry and we were very intentional, like giving them leadership positions. And then that took a lot of management, but we got a lot more done because we reversed the paradigm. You're called to do this work. And so for us, it was changing the paradigm um, and then charging people with very specific work. And it, of course, it didn't happen overnight. So Jim or Kelly, um, I know Kelly, you and I talked a little bit about board engagement when we were there and that's, that's universal, but is there another challenge or how are you seeing that as a challenge to your, your work? I, th ooh, I don't know if we have, I think you're, yeah, I think anytime you're in the, as you would say, for purpose, you, you're working with people who they have another full-time job. They're somewhere else every day. Um, what I will say is I don't see a lack of passion for Pam um, with the membership. They're they're incredibly passionate and they want to be helpful. I'm What I'm grappling with right now, my challenges are how to engage that and how to best find um, ways to engage some of these younger people who, who are coming to me saying, what can I do? I want to be helpful. Um, and, just, and just really sort of thinking outside the box of ways to engage people in an organization where a lot of these positions are um, faculty or um, board positions. So what else are we doing to make sure that we have all the voices um, that have something to say? How, how do I make sure I'm hearing all of those voices? I think that's one thing. Um, and the other thing that I'm running into, and I don't know if you guys run into this as well, is sort of these silos um, with the denomination as a whole. We've got all these 501c3 offshoots from the denomination, and everyone's working really hard to make sure that their purposes are, are um, are, are being, you know, that they're doing what they need to do. But this sort of pausing for a moment, because you only have staffs of one and a half, or because, for example, APSI has, it's all volunteer, we don't have the time or the space to pause for a minute and think of how could we do this better if we engaged this or that. Um, what, when I, and I'll use Pam as an example. So for our worship and music conferences, we've got youth and children components. Um, and, and when you get to signing those parts of the leadership to the conference every year, you know, you kind of see some blank stares on the planning team faces, their faces, because that's not who they are, they're musicians. Um, and so how are we engaging APSI, our Presbyterian Church educators, to help Pam ensure that our youth and children's component of our conferences are excellent, like our worship and music parts. And so what I'm working on now is trying to engage these organizations into creating a little more synergy so that we're working together instead of separate um, for, for lots of reasons. One, I think it's better, it's healthier, and it, it creates excellence on all levels. But two, we, our, our denominations are shrinking. So instead of hiding in our own corners and doing what we need to do because we're so busy all day long, stopping and saying, all right, how do we do this together better? Absolutely. That's a real key. Jim, you want to jump in on this conversation? Uh, one of the things that I think is a challenge for membership associations is that 30 years ago, we all depended on our association for our information. If we had questions, we went to our association. Now, the next generation goes to Google for the answer to all of their questions, including their church music questions, let's say. So it, it's a challenge transitioning to that 
new world order. Uh, technology also sometimes means that we need systems to keep the up that create another expense. Uh, they have monthly maintenance fees that are an expense. So that's a new challenge. Uh, something in ALCM that has been a challenge is the increase in contemporary music. ALCM was really started as a liturgical organization. Sometimes contemporary music is not as liturgical. So it's been a struggle sometimes to know how to best support our contemporary music colleagues uh, when we come from a, a liturgical uh, angle. So th those are a few challenges for us. So David, you mentioned um, the vision of FUMWA. Um, I wanna talk about, um, I had a defining moment when I did a, um, a cabinet retreat for Bishop uh, in, in Nashville, Middle Tennessee, at the, his name will come to me in a minute, when I were talking about visioning, and he said, I, my cabinet doesn't do the vision, I have the vision, I never saw anywhere in the Bible, God gave a vision to a committee. So one of the duties and delights of a leader is to say, here's my vision for taking the organization forward. And it may not be the stated vision of the organization, but it's your vision of how we're gonna function, how we're gonna be in three to five years. Do, uh, let's start with you, David. If, what's your vision for building this out over the next three to five years? What do you see on the horizon? I think Kelly has a great answer for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, are you, are you a politician? <laughs> yeah, let's see. The one, let's see. Kelly and Jim have been doing it for a few years, and me who've been doing it uh, a lot of years. Uh, yeah, that, uh, keeping that vision going uh, is, uh, it, it can be a real challenge. Um, let, let me think of that a little bit. I, I bet Kelly has, uh, I'm always very impressed when I talk with Kelly about her, yeah, her vision, how she's putting things together. She's also Presbyterian. You know, um, so our co-host hadn't been able to get on. Russell Dennis has been our co-host for three years, and he can't get on today because he's got a power outage in Denver. So, um, Kelly, I remember some formative moments in my tree, especially when Eric Ratley was there, and he said, no wonder you Scots are the ones that pray forgive us our debts. <laughs> so there's something very specific about Scottish Presbyterians, but you come at this with some uh, youth. If, if you do youth ministry, you can do anything. You know, I learned everything I need to know about leadership, teaching middle school for three years, but you come at this with a diversity of perspectives and backgrounds, and you and I have talked about some of the ways you want to move this organization. Do you want to share any of those? Oh, gosh, I feel like that's that was January we talked, right? Good grief, so much has happened since then. Um, I, we're, I find it exciting um, with Pam that we've, we've got some goals that were put in place, um, some, some, and they've got some objectives that the that, that board is working on. Um, what I'm finding exciting right now is, is getting this opportunity to get out to talk to members, um, is hearing all of the different, um, ideas and, and they're, and they're all great. This is what I said to the board. They're all really great ideas, but it's sort of like, you can't just, you cannot do them all because then you, it's like dinner theater, right? Together, maybe not so great. And mm -hmm. so keeping them separate. And so, um, the board is going to, um, the plan was to talk in August. I think the plan is now in January to sit down and do some strategic planning and some visioning and, and some ten, five year, 10 year plans. And I find that exciting. I find it exciting because you get what I see are a ton of great ideas and a ton of energy come to the table and, and, and working together to sort of sift out what, where do we want to be? Um, does that work with the mission of Pam? Um, so I find this next nine months to be, um, rather exciting to, to learn about where we're going to go. Um, but I think you have to do that and you have to have board support because when you have a staff of one, one and a half or two, you're not going to get it done by yourself. I want to put you back on that. And I, you notice I refrained when David said he had a staff of one and a half. I didn't ask him which one he was. Mm -hmm. Um, um, so Kelly, um, I, you know, you, you, you already bought my book. I was impressed when I said, oh, here's my 
my word, oh, I got that book. So you've hit on a really important thing that we teach at Center Vision Leadership Foundation. Having that strategy, having the board engaged in developing the strategy is an engagement. I call it a new architecture of engagement. And I live to eliminate boring meetings. What I learned, I don't know if y'all ever experienced Eve Ely. Eve Ely taught me that rehearsals were an attitude adjustment. People leave feeling better than when they came in. That's the way I think meetings ought to be like rehearsals. You know, where are our deliverables? Skip the agenda. That's, that's, that's old thinking. What are we going to accomplish and how are we going to get there? And we drive toward results. No conductor uses an agenda for rehearsals. We look at what kind of results we want. So the centrality, I'm in my, uh, I've just finished a year and a half with the Lynchburg Symphony. And there's been a huge difference in engagement in the board because we've set a strategy, all the committee chairs are functioning underneath the yearly goals for that, and there's accountabilities along the way. And they liked my work so much, I'm the incoming president of the board for Lynchburg Symphony. You know, I've stood up when I should have shut up, but I've, now I've got to produce what I'm teaching. So it's really, so I'll be, in the, I'll be in a similar boat to you come June 1st. But talk about that a little more. Um, You've got some mechanics. I've agreed to help resource you with some tools. And then what, what tools are are things that then, it's like notes on the keyboard. You play them differently. So you've got the scales, but you've got the tools. What is the pathway, and how do you hope that's going to transform the engagement in that process? The board? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, you're, you're, you're doing the strategy with the board. And part of your strategy, if I understand it, is to get them engaged in the nuts and bolts so they know where they can, they can be engaged and step up. Right. Right. And I think, you know, I think if I vision it myself and tell them how to do it, I don't think there's buy-in. I think if you, if the, if the board does it together, then they're the ones who are coming up with it. It's their idea. And I think, you know, in anything that we do, anything that we do, um, when we plan it and execute it, we understand it more deeply. We're a little more emotionally attached to it. And I feel like that's how the board will be. And, and I think they're excited. They, they know that there's some really great stuff we can be doing, should be doing, can be, and I'm, um, listening to um and and to have everybody in the room to take and to take i think the hardest part is finding and taking that time to set it aside and do it um but once we do it i think you know they're the voices you've got a board of nine they're the voices who are going to go out and share this information with their members one one-on-one -on -one. Uh, we can talk about it on a website we can talk about it in a webinar but it's when you're in these um at events sharing it with your fellow membership that's where the buy-in happens it's your word of mouth and there's a reverse value for them. They can learn from participating here. They can take back to their organizations, their churches, their community choirs, their schools. Mm -hmm. So they, they can learn and take it back and be better at what they're doing. Oh, so David was right. Call on you first. You got the, you got the goods. <laughs> so Jim, now we're giving David time to think about this. Your vision for your, the organization that you're charged with leading. Yeah, some things that we're doing in the future, we are doing more with webinars. We are in process of putting together a class. Uh, one of them, actually two classes, one would be on Christian hymn hymnody and the other would be on Lutheran liturgy and music. And these would be 10 session classes. Uh, we're setting those up for next fall and next spring. So that's a uh, a digital vision for us. We last year started something brand new for us, which was doing one day Saturday only workshops around the country. Previously, we had done three or four day conferences, either nationally or regionally. So last summer, we did 36 of these one day events. Uh, we had almost triple the number of people at the 36 one-day events that we would have at a national conference. So we were very happy with that and intend to continue those one-day events. We are looking at restructuring our regions. We are, are currently set up in four regions of the country and we're intending to change those to uh, possibly six differently drawn regions. We actually have over 16,000 Lutheran churches in the country, and our membership uh, is 1,650. So we have about 10% of those Lutheran churches that are members of the organization. 
and we're looking for ways to better communicate with all of those 16,000 Lutheran churches where we're sending more things to all of the churches rather than only our membership. So uh, hoping to better connect with all the churches. So those are a, a few things that we're looking at. I love it. So David, you've had time to mull on it. Um, I uh, went across the street here to one of our local Methodist churches and we, we, Leanne, it worked, my wife works for the district, so we visit a lot of Methodist churches, every, different every Sunday. And the preacher agreed and said, you know, we complimented him on how the flow of worship was done and how the pastor and the musician worked really well together. And he said, well, she taught me into going to Junaluska, and I learned a whole lot of stuff, and I go every year now, and now we're taking people. Right. I used to take a group of 20 or 30 to Montreal, and we'd do our whole year's planning. So talk about your vision for supporting your members and the organization as a whole. And is that part of it, engaging pastors in some of this learning? There are so many areas of growth. <laughs> uh, cr creating, I, I've always said that, that increasing our number of teams from churches that attend an event, if, if one person from a church attends an event, uh, it doesn't do as much. But if two people or more people, and if one of those persons is, is the pastor, it can really make a profound effect, have a profound effect on the, the worship life of that congregation. I, I think as I look three to five years in the future and think about it more and learn from Kelly, mm -hmm. there, there is synthesis uh, within our denomination. Our denomination is have, going through some very troubled waters at the moment, so um, we just have to be sure we are uh, doing our best to uh, re remain uh, steadfast in a time of difficulty for the denomination and uh, chart those waters, and we don't even know where all that's going. So that's a, a piece that it, it's hard to see the future. But we do know that there are two areas of growth that we need to address. Um, one, as I mentioned earlier, is uh, engaging more with young people and fostering mentoring relationships. And the uh, other is increasing our racial ethnic diversity, both in our membership, uh, folks at our events, uh, to make our events look more like uh, the kingdom of God uh, than what they've looked like in the past. So uh, goals around that, in addition to the goals of getting pastors to events and training our folks to be better worship leaders and musicians, uh, but those are some, some, very, some big areas of, um, of work. Our um, denominational staff in worship, uh, there are three new staff people with a denomination that will be working right down the hall from me. So when that team is in place, uh, the next two to three years will be a time of relearning each other and how to, to collaborate. Um, and uh, as Kelly was saying, not duplicating effort and, and work with the other entities uh, to the good of all. I noticed when uh, we were together recently in Charleston, I believe that was a Lutheran event, but all of you were there and there were constituents from multiple denominations. Uh, and David, you've, uh, we've all used the word collaboration. I see you guys doing more collaborative. So talk about collaboration opportunities and why those are important. Well, I will say it was at a Lutheran church, but it wasn't a Lutheran event, not to steal Jim's uh, thunder. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A lot of Lutheran publishers there, but no, not a Lutheran event. <laughs> okay, I was fooled. So it was, it was, it was obviously you guys were working together. So there's opportunities for collaboration in any kind of organization that we don't think about. Well, it was good that, um, that really started with three music publishers. So on the supply end of the work and they wanted to put together an event and they invited these three associations to participate. So that was an idea that came from the supplier end. Uh, they're providing resources uh, for musicians and uh, I think it's been a great collaboration between all of us to promote that event and to, we all have members that are there. So it, it works out really well. You, um, anybody else want to talk about collaborative opportunities and why they're important? I think we all work very well together. Uh, in particular, FUMWA and ALCM is looking at doing some of our one day workshops together. And down the road, we, we've been talking about doing a national conference together so and, and I'm always impressed there's a lot of excitement about doing things together which is very pleasing as well. Kelly you want to weigh in? 
Oh, yeah. I, I again, I said, I think I said it earlier. I think we have to collaborate um, with our shrinking denominations and with the cumulative knowledge across um, organizations. That there is so much value um, in, in collaboration. Things that we can learn. I mean, the one-day events are. are listening to you talk about 36 one day events. I mean, yeah, that's, and, and to be able to collaborate together, what can we do that you know, we're not doing, we're not taking time and resources to ever, to, to produce these things individually that we could do together. And I think NCSM was a really good example of that, that um, we were all in the same room. There were lots of attendees there and everyone learned quite a bit. I would say we we're able to take home some great materials ac across denominational lines. We can do that. <laughs> and I learned so much from Jim and David. Mm -hmm. um, David's been at this for a long time. And so it's mm -hmm. fun to hear that, you know, you've got quite a bit of institutional history and um, you've got the trial and error to be able to say, yeah, this is going to work or mm, you may not want to try that. And I think there's value in not reinventing the wheel. Mm -hmm. Well, sometimes it does need to be reinvented. I, I've known for 15 years, really, that I there are many times I really do need to get out of the way mm -hmm. and uh, let things develop if, if the board has ideas. Um, so, so there's a really, there's a fine line there, I think, um, in leading the board to, uh, when, when you have a long history, mm -hmm. to let it, letting, staying out of the way when needed. Right. I guess the wisdom is to know when. <laughs> You know, we need to parallel volunteer work to make sure it gets done. But it's, it's a, there's a mentoring aspect, which is antithesis of micromanaging aspect of it. So talk about um, leadership and self-care. How um, you're in a position that I've seen uh, many people burn out in. And um, it's important, I think it's important, uh, my fourth leadership principle you know, the strategy and the foundation is the first in relationships. It's the second one, having good systems that these good people with a good mission can work in. And then balance. Balance is, is not all about managing all the priorities, but it's about caring for physical, spiritual, mental, emotional self. So weigh in on what do you, two aspects of this. A, how do you care for yourself emotionally, physically? And then how do you grow your abilities on a continuing basis. Anybody can start this, either one of those or both of those. I'll, I'll jump in if I can. Um, I, after a period of discernment uh, over the last year, decided I, there were a lot of things that I really wanted to begin to engage in for my musicianship and, and projects that I uh, both have going on. There are a couple of annual books that I update and, um, so I worked out with my board to get my work done in uh, four days a week instead of five. And so I worked four longer days and have Fridays for that self-care to be engaged in other projects that feed me a little more than this, than writing checks and taking care of event registrations and answering a question about why they can't open a page on the website. So um, the trying to find those things that give me a little bit more, uh, trying those Fridays are things that give me a little more life than some of the day-to-day -day aspects here. I don't have the relationships in that work on a Friday, that Friday work. Um, and that's what gives me life here are the relationships. But, uh, that's, that's been one thing that's, uh, been, I think really good. It has been very, very challenging though. Um, and we all know we don't work 40 hour a week jobs, uh, but when you're trying to do the work in 40 hours uh, and knowing what's not getting done, that, that's, that's been a real challenge. But I feel good about that, that bit of self-care for those, uh, those Fridays. Who else? I'll say a couple things that I do. Uh, I always force myself to take all of my vacation days. And uh, that's something that just helps me maintain uh, health. I know uh, there's an awful lot of people that let those vacation days go by, uh, but that's something I, I force myself to do every year. Uh, I do have a part-time church music director position in a Lutheran church that is really just 
uh, a joy. Uh, it's a complete change of scenery for me to do that. Uh, and I have rehearsals one evening a week and I have one Sunday morning service. So it doesn't take a lot of time, but it's, it's an enjoyable way for me to stay connected making music and not only be an administrator. And, and then I, typically I do find a professional development conference to go to uh, just this past January. There's an organization called the Association of Lutheran Development Executives. So I went to their continuing education conference and that's uh, another way to, to energize. Great, Kelly. Ooh, um, leadership, let's see. I think for me, um, your question was self-care about leadership. What are some things that um, we, f we find with leadership? I find I'm, I'm very comfortable um, saying I, I, what I know and, and I'm very comfortable saying what I don't know. Um, I'm very comfortable admitting in this space I am not a musician, um, but I'm very comfortable saying that I care deeply for liturgy and I value music immensely. And it is incredibly important for me to make sure we preserve that in our churches. Um, so I rely on my board and I, and, and that I find comfort in that for me, that's a comforting thing. Cause I can, I can let go of things. I know I simply don't have the expertise, but I also realize the board relies on me for my expertise. And I find that to be such a joyful match. Um, I love the strategic planning and the dreaming piece of it. I love the collaborating. I find energy in that and just coming up with new ideas, which is why I'm in Austin today. Um, of just how the constant question of how can we do this better? What can we do to serve the church better, to serve our musicians better? But you're right. Um, where do you find space in that to take care of yourself? Um, I, I, I am a, I'm married to an exercise physiologist scientist. So exercise is important in our house. And, and for me, that's something I have to do regularly. Um, and when I don't, I do find that that I get in a funk. So that's one way I take care of myself. The other thing I'm learning too is, and Jim, you, you touched on that with taking vacation, um, is really going off the grid. And, and when you're off on those days, you're really off. You're not checking your emails and you're not answering phone calls and um, working in a church for 12 years and being responsible for youth and you were responsible to their parents as well. That was a tough thing to do, um, boundaries. And so I'm working hard on that, um, of just being okay with, saying yes today yes yeah you know it's hard saying no to something you're passionate about isn't it yeah yeah mm -hmm. that it can it can tire you out too well according to the research i look look at nationally the burnout rate with nonprofit executive directors is at 45 percent the ones we know about and 75 percent are looking at the exit door because there's too much work and there's too much too many expectations of the board and um, David talked about getting the board to validate the fact that he needs a Friday off for self-care, self-development, just a break. So I think, you know, we sleep at night so we can have another go at it tomorrow. I think we're not any good to organization if we're burned out and, and just and stressed out. And, and that's probably a good model to share with your members, I would guess. So if, if I were a pastor, and I was, you were face to face with me and we're talking about Montreat or one of your other events. And they said, well, I'm a pastor. I don't need to come to that. My musician should come. How would you respond? Any of you, how would you respond to that? So there would be an open invitation for them. Ooh. I would say you are right. Thank you. Let's talk about ice cream. <laughs> Is that a cop out? It's, it's that old, you know, it's, it's, uh, don't try to teach a pig to sing. It just, don't. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean that. I, I, um, yeah. uh, but you know, I mean, there, there has to be that, that spark. If you don't see that spark there, if it's like, show me if that's all you're getting, I, I, I can encourage, I can offer you a free registration. I can do mm -hmm. everything I can to try to get you there. Uh, and hopefully that that spark will be there. Um, I, frankly, I think that most musicians, if they can't have a pastor go to them with an event, they'd like a pastor that can plan a little bit further out than Thursday. 
that, that I think is the number one thing with, with folks that I hear that's the number one challenge and difference between musicians and pastors. Um, we, we know at the, the, the website that Discipleship Ministries has, and they have some great worship planning resources, they hit their peak Saturday night at 11 o'clock Eastern. Oh, my word. And they know because they can measure it. So right. Jim and Kelly, uh, we've done our last five minutes here of the interview. So what would you say to a pastor? Or was there, is there any use in having that dialogue? And don't be as cynical as David. <laughs> Where's the ice cream? <laughs> I, I don't, um, I'm going to go, I'll go cup half full, David. Um, I, what do I say to a pastor? I think there's incredible value and I will with collaborative worship. And, but like you're saying, you can't, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Um, what I love about these conferences is that you, we are able to model what we believe churches should be doing. We believe we should mo we're modeling collaborative worship where the worship planning team has, you know, we, we have worship every day at these conferences and we immediately have a worship reflections um, following the, the worship service where the entire worship planning team, musician, liturgist, pastor, are at the table and, and working with a group of 45. And then the 45 will say, gee, I wish my pastor was here. Um, invite them. Um, and the other thing I often think about is meet them where they are. So you're, you're right. You can give them a, you can give them a conference registration. Um, what, but what are some other things? Maybe the conference that we're doing just is never going to appeal to that pastor. So maybe we ought to be doing something completely different um, that, that the titles change, stop trying to put a round peg in a square hole, um, that maybe we need to be going about it differently. And we need to offer something completely different um, that appeals to pastors. And, and, but we need to listen and figure out what that is. Listening, that's a musical thing. Jim, you want to take a shot at it? We're running yeah. the hour here. Uh, I would say we just keep inviting pastors. We do like to have pastors at the conferences. We will offer some workshops specifically related to pastoral ministry. We might do a homiletic series of workshops that is appealing to pastors. But in general, uh, it'll be the pastors who have a special interest in music who will tend to come to our conferences. And we would like to have as many as possible, really. Mm -hmm. The real truth is pastors will learn about how to do worship planning because very few seminaries teach them that. Um, so the old sales tactic that worked for me when people would come up after worship and complaining about a hymn is that, you know, the, the sales tactics feel felt found. I know how you feel. I felt that way, but here's what I found out. It was value. So it gets them in a meaningful conversation. So I'm going to give you each a shot. I'm going to do a commercial message here. What is one tip? you'd like to get to any leader leading a nonprofit or, or membership organization out there to get you time to think about it. One tip or one challenge. Um, we have a sponsor called word spread. They print our magazine, they mail our magazine. We use it to grow our membership for the community for community builders, center vision leadership foundations hub for learning. So come and join our community, but word sprint. If you go to wordsprint.com, you can get a free consultation with bill and he can show you how, Regular mail mailings will, will keep your donor base, keep your membership base active and growing because they know what you're doing and it's in their hand. Center Vision is offering 31 days to being a better leader, to becoming a better leader. And it's designed for anybody at any level of leadership because we're always working on self. So go to betterleader.me, betterleader.me. It's free. It's a podcast. And you'll see this podcast on the Nonprofit Exchange anywhere you get podcasts. So let's go from my right to left, Kelly and Jim and David. What's a parting wish or challenge or thought you have for our listeners? Uh, I would say as far as a tip, you mentioned there's a lot of burnout that you know, take a deep breath and, and keep going. Uh, don't give up and uh, delegate as much as you can. Uh, try to find volunteers to, to move as much off of your plate as you can. Kelly? I would suggest, Jim, you're right on. And then I would also say, listen, take a lot of time to listen um, in, 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 in all the conversations and that every conversation you have is, is important. And, and the ideas come to me 
just in, in, in listening to people's comments and just letting them simmer. That we don't need to take action right away. I think a lot of times as executive directors, you get a phone call and you're, 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 you're being called to act right away. And I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think sometimes there's value in listening and just letting these ideas, as we would say, simmer a little bit. Oh, great. David? Any time you spend in relationship building is good time. Mm -hmm. uh, sending a birthday card, uh, when you find out one of your older members has taken a fall, any of that that you do, it, it, a lot of days it feels to me like, okay, I've got other tasks I need to get doing, but I really am committed to that relationship building and keeping those relationships is a great part of nonprofit work and what keeps me going. Amen. A lot of good uh, sound bites, words, and wisdom today. Thank you, Kelly, Jim, and David. Um, I have links to your homepage for your website on the page. And I encourage anybody to go and check them out, especially check out the events that are coming up. Uh, and having been to many of these, I recommend that you go uh, and listen. Kelly, that was that's just a great theme. So thank you all for sharing your wisdom with go to the nonprofit this the nonprofitexchange.org and you'll find this interview the nonprofitexchange.org thank you all for being here today thank you thanks thank you. this podcast is a part of the C Suite Radio Network for more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.